Okay, for our second message today, we also have the pleasure of hearing from Mr. Steve Andrews. His message is entitled, I Will Build My Church. I'll get that in a minute. This thing organized. I was perusing through the net news. I don't get a paper anymore. I used to. And I come across a fairly interesting article I thought was quite profound and was very interesting. And it was about South Carolina, another one of those part of the Bible Belt country, uh, states. And the whole article was about the fact that they were losing parishioners. Now, to us, Losing 78,000 parishioners in a 600,000 member church is, uh, you know, this is other Baptists there in that area, it would not seem like very much, but to them, they were very concerned about it, and the article was very interesting in that they, that they were going through and showing um, how, how things were changing. Of course, we, we recognize that too, and we know that many things are are changing in the society that we live in, and that these um, people were beginning to to leave their congregations and no longer be a part of it. It was interesting, and I, I the article was interesting in one way. But when I come to the to, to the almost to the end of it, it was this beautiful little white church building. It didn't have a steeple on it; just a white church building. That church building in South Carolina had been there as a, as a Methodist church for 274 years. 274 years it had parishioners in it. And in 2017, they boarded the church up. <clears throat> no longer were there anybody there to conduct services or and of course, they might have all died off, but consider all of those years that little congregation, and it was a very small church building, and they had taken very good care of it. They had a picture of it. And they may have rebuilt it two or three times, too, in that 274 years. But just, just think that even though we don't agree with them, they had a at one time, there was a form of biblical morality that spread throughout all this land. And the Christian morality that kept people within certain parameters and certain boundaries that we do not see today, that seems like those boundaries are being destroyed in, in one right after another. It's interesting what Jesus says in Matthew, the 16th, uh, 16th chapter, verse 18. Because that's the heart of what I have a message today. And I sure do appreciate Ken's message. And I, and I hope to bring out some, some thoughts and feelings that I had as I was listening to that today. In Matthew, the 16th chapter... And I'm going to start in verse 13. I didn't give that to, to um, Brian, but I'd like to start in verse 13. 
when uh, Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, he, uh, he asked his disciples, whom do two men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that you are John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others say, well, Jeremiah, or maybe one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon, the son of John. That's what Barjona means. For flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say to you, and this is an interesting, this is an interesting verse, and some take it very, very uh, wrong because uh, whole whole church is built on this Peter principle here. But I say to you that you are Peter, which actually he means a little rock, uh, Petros, a little, little tiny rock. And upon this rock, uh, the cliff of a rock, Petra, Petra, the cliff, the big rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a profound statement. From the day that he called, and I wrote it down because I want to make sure that I got these names, Simon and Andrew and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the day that he called those four, Jesus, from that time on, has been building his church constantly, considerably. There is a work going on that Jesus and God the Father are building that church. Now, it's interesting that that word, um, I, like, I like that word. Uh, it's been t- we've talked about it several times, but I, I'd like to, to go into my e-sword. And that word actually is, I will build my ecclesia. <laughs> Probably not pronounced correct. It's from a compound of one word, G1537, and a derivative of G2564. You don't have to worry about that. But it's a calling out. A calling out. That is, uh, concretely, a popular meeting, especially a religious congregation, Jewish synagogue or Christian community. This is from uh, Strong's Concordance, by the way. straight out of Strong's Concordance. A community of members on earth, or saints in heaven, or both, or assembly in a church. So, well, we can, if, if we just took an example, what we do every week on the Sabbath before services, the song leader gathers those that are going to give the messages, going to do the things, in the, and we have an assembly. We go in to the pastor's, it says study up there, but it's mostly the pastor's storage room. And we go in there, and we pray that God will be with the service. So we have a church. It's an assembly. We, we have a calling out because he, he does have to appoint those that are going to, to, uh, to do the prayer. He's going to have to appoint some that are going to be doing the prayer. And so we have a calling out of those that need to, to go in there for, for services. And we go over those things and then we, we have 
uh, a prayer, and then we come out. So you know now what we do back there. <laughs> it's not... Uh, and sometimes we have a calling for board meetings and other different things, but that's essentially what we're doing. There's... <clears throat> and Jesus now is calling out and bringing together into assembly. That's what we're doing. We've been, we know we're called to come to an assembly, to be a part of something so profound, so unbelievable. And sometimes it's really hard to mesh it all together and, and, to, and to really really understand the depths of what God and, and Christ are doing in individual lives but also in building an assembly, a congregation, a family, in all that they're doing. So I have, I have ten parts all together. This was the first one. Uh, Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. I will build my assembly. He is building and continuing to build. And he says... The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's happening out there, nothing is going to stop Christ from bringing those who will heed the call. So the next point is, there is a calling going on. And we understand that. And the importance of that call. Romans 8.28 is the is the next scripture. Let's go to Romans 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. We are all called according to His purpose. I don't know what, what part of my message I was going to talk about this, but I think this is a good time to talk about it. To think about when you were called. At what point God began to work in your life. At what part the, the Spirit began to move in your heart so that you wanted to be a part of what Christ was doing and where He was taking all of mankind. And you wanted to be a part of that. When in your life did he start working with you? At what point? And I could, I got lots of stories about that. But I want you to think about your own personal situation in your own life. When you came to that point where you wanted to be baptized, you wanted to be, uh, you wanted to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you wanted to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. When did that happen in your life? Now we we also know. That sometimes God doesn't just call the mighty of this world. Um, <laughs> I look at myself and I think, wow, why did he choose me to come to this tremendous truth, this tremendous understanding, and be called at this particular time so that I could be in his assembly? And then we're going to talk about where we're going because there's something far beyond just this assembly that we're doing here. Because there's something greater, more profound, great that's 
that's going on. And we're a part of that, but sometimes we don't realize it. Sometimes we're not as, as aware of the, of the power of what, what God is doing. But I hope that I can bring that out. Let's, um, beginning in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. For you see your calling, brethren. So there is a calling that's going on. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, the base things of the world, and things which are despised. As God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to nothing things that are. And it's so that no flesh should glory in his presence. We have a lot of very rich people out there that are making a lot of money. But they are ignoring this book. And in fact, some of them are very much against this book. And very much against Christ. And very much against even what we are preaching today. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who God has made to us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. That's all what God is doing. That's what Christ is doing in our lives. That according as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. And so we have a calling, just as it said. The church, I will build my church, and he's calling out. He's, he's building this church through the calling that he's making to all these individuals. Down through the ages. Sometimes we look at our numbers and we think, well, we're kind of small. We don't have a whole lot in this congregation. But that church building, that little white church building that those people lived, that, that went to church, that started out in, in, in covered wagons and, and horseback, was a little small church, probably smaller than this one, with wooden pews in it, maybe only two, two sets of wooden pews. And they were convinced for all those years, up until 2017, that they were doing the right thing. So God is calling and bringing us to this truth. <laughs> it's interesting that Jesus calls himself the shepherd. <laughs> he calls us the sheep. Um, sometimes I, I feel like sheep. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> Let's see what Jesus says about us. But it's also comforting, isn't it? To know that we have a loving Savior who also is watching over us and taking care of us and, and doing things. And as Ken was saying, it just, you know, <laughs> he wants us to reach out. He, he wants us to believe. He wants us to, um, to pray and to be strong in that particular area and to not doubt. Because he's, he's, the, he's the master shepherd and he takes care of his sheep. He says, verily, verily, ten, uh, chapter 10, verse, verse 1. I say to you, he that enters not into the door into the sh sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now, if, if my 
version is just a little bit different. I have the easy reader uh, from the King James Version. and Some of it's a little bit different, but not a whole lot. He says, but he that enters into the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You hear the voice of Christ in your life? Do you hear him calling you and directing you and leading you? And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Do we know the voice of our Savior, Jesus Christ? Do we understand where he wants us to go and how he wants us to go? And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This is important, brethren, for us to understand, because there are a lot of strangers out there with a lot of voices, and if we're not listening to Christ, understanding what he says, we can be confused. The parable spoke Jesus to them, but they understood not what things they were which he spoke to them and then he said to as Jesus said to them verily verily I say unto you I am the door of the sheep all that enter that ever come before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not hear them I am the door by me if any man enter in he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture it sounds very um, soothing and quieting that the that he's taking care of us. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that might, they might have it more abundantly. Christ came into this world that we might have life and might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, and I've known them mine. As the Father knows me, even so I've known know I the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. And that's why we, we, in this congregation we try to be very careful what we bring. Because it's important that we preach Christ. We preach his words. And we preach that he is the true shepherd. That he is the one that directs and leads our thoughts. And our messages when they come. And he says, no, and other sheep I have which are not this fold. Interesting prophetic statement. Interesting prophetic. Them also. I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So down through the ages, from the time he started calling those fishermen to be fishers of men, and down through the ages, he's been calling disciples, been calling individual disciples to hear his voice, to follow him as sheep of sure, because he's the the chief shepherd and he loves us and he's laid down his life for us in Psalm the 23rd chapter David already understood that and wrote this from inspiration 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I hope when you're down that this is one of the scriptures that really strengthens you. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Today we, we got a message that was helping us to be led in the path of righteousness and not to doubt. And I thought that was so profound and it fits so well with what I have to, to bring today. Yea, though I walk in the valley, of, though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. Can we get to that point, and I know it's very difficult, and always very difficult, that we really trust, no matter what our life might bring, that Christ will bring us through, and he will take care of us. You prepare a table before the... Uh, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is a prophetic statement, brethren. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's go back to John, the 21st chapter now. He is building his church. He is making a calling. But there's something else that needs to be done. Because if you just called and let everybody go and do whatever they wanted to do, there would not be any coherence. There would you would just be going anywhere and everywhere. So Jesus understood that he needed to impress on his apostles, his disciples, something very, very important. And here's what it was that he needed to impress on him. Uh, so in verse, I'm going to go to verse 12. I don't know where I, I think I started at 15, but I'm going to go to verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and dine. <laughs> None of the Disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord, because he had prepared them uh, some fish. And Jesus came and he took bread and gave them and fishes likewise. And This is now the third time that Jesus had showed himself to the disciples after this, and that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, love you me more than these? And so he pointed to everybody, you love me more than these? He said to him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, and then Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. He said to him again in the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, love you me. And he said to him, Yea, Lord, you, you know I love you. And he said to him, Feed my sheep. Feed the little ones. Feed my sheep. Feed, feed my sheep. And he said to the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, love you me. Well, by this time, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Lord, uh, love you me. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
And of course, then he told him that what his death would be and everything. But the point was, is the shepherd has left the instructions that they, the sheep need to be fed. <laughs> and we do. We need to be fed. We, we need the instruction from, from the chief shepherd. And he's left it, hasn't he? He's, he's left that information for us, and we can go back time and time again. And we can look and see what he has, has given us. Number, point number four, we're, we're gathered together to come before the king. We're gathered together to come before the king. Do you believe that Jesus is here, that the Father is listening in? Uh, there, there, are, there are other congregations in the world at different times because, you know, just because the sun rises and sets. Uh, and of course, the Sabbath is different all over the world. But this is our period of time from sunset to sunset. And we're here listening and attending to what is, is coming from God's word. And we're before the, the king. We're before God. His spirit is here. His truth is here. So let's see what Jesus said about what's important. He said in Matthew 5, beginning of verse 17, he said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill, to, to make it full. Jesus lived. He was the living word. He, was, he lived the word of God. He heard God and, and spoke as God told him. He was the living word. And he was fulfilling that. And he was filling it full. For verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all is fulfilled. And that's not going to happen, brethren, until that day when all of mankind is in the kingdom. I mean, these things are very much for all of us. In 2 Timothy 3.16, you're all very, very familiar with this. And if I had my glasses on, I would read it, but I don't. So I will just go to 2 Timothy 3, 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in, in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. So we, we are left with the understanding that all scriptures, that include, that at this time, the scriptures was what we call the Old Testament. So it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine. For doctrine, that means for teaching, for understanding, for comprehension, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So, to be instructed in righteousness, we've got to go into the... Old Testament, we've got to go to the scriptures. And so, when it comes to understanding why we're here, and why we're in this particular place today, and why we do the things we do, and why we teach what we teach, we have to go back and we have to find the original instructions for this day, don't we? 
the, that's the original instructions. It comes out of the first five books of the Old Testament. Original instructions. They are never taken away. They're, they're the original instructions. And of course, if we go all the way to the beginning, in the second chapter of Genesis, God creates the Sabbath. But in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, he lays out a pattern of worship. A pattern of worship that we follow because we understand how important this pattern of worship is for each and every one of us. Speak unto the children of Israel. And the Lord, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. Um, this, is, this is called the Sword Bible, King James Version, Easy Reader. Now, I don't know how many of you can see it, but almost all of Leviticus is written in red. <laughs> the Lord said, this is what it says. And so he spoke to Moses, and it's in red, so he said, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them concerning the feast of the Lord. The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Now, I'm going to go and I'm going to do something real quickly here. Let's, let's go to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. I'm going to do this hopefully real quickly. Verse 1. And let's see what convocations in the Strong Concordance says about it. The word convocation, mikrah, uh, I hope, don't, don't quote me on that one, <laughs> from H7121, it's H4744 in the Strong's, something called out. How familiar is this one verse to the word church? Something called out, that is a public meeting. The act, the persons, or the, or the, uh, the palace. Also rehearsal, assembly, calling, convocation, reading. <laughs> a called out. The, Israel's, the Israelites were called out of Egypt. They were called out of sin. They were called out to come to worship God before God. And they were then promised a beautiful place to go. The promised land. And they were given all kinds of promises about what God would do for them and how he would take care of them. And so we find in, in this that God has set forth some holy calling out. Some holy assemblies. And so if Jesus is forming a church, an assembly, a called out, and he says there's no, um, nothing has been changed in the law, and then we must understand then that these holy convocations are still binding and important. Six days shall work be done, verse 3. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation, a holy assembly. You shall do no work therein. It's the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. You know, I put no burden on anyone about Sabbath keeping. It is between you and God, how you keep the Sabbath, how you worship God. I know one thing, this is an important part, because he's calling us 
to come before him, to come and worship before him. That's why it's called a holy assembly, a holy convocation. There is a calling that goes out every week, and it starts at sundown Friday night. You might not. Did you hear that one last night at sundown? <laughs> now, I don't know whether the trumpets are blown in, in Israel or not, but we know that at sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night, that period of time is the Sabbath. And it's holy time. It's holy to God. And it's a time when he wants to meet with his children. That's, that's what it's all about. He wants that time to meet with his children. So, as children, we, we talk to God. Now, that's called prayer. And we listen to what God has to say. That's called Bible study. And sometimes, like Ken brought out with, with Daniel, we need, <laughs> we need to get down on our knees and pray for the nation. That's a... <laughs> Daniel's prayer is one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible. I mean, it's, it's so powerful. And of course, then all of a sudden the angels show up and say, well, we've been listening to you and you've been, uh, we're here. We're going to tell you. And they said, then they tell him, well, it's all been locked up until the end. But they heard his prayer and it was so powerful. But that's the important thing to understand. These are holy convocations. These are times in which God, Jesus Christ, are listening, are with us, are, are part of, the, uh, of, of what we're doing here today. And so, if we miss, um, I, hope, I hope Ken doesn't mind me using his, his message a little bit. Um, when we were first in, starting this congregation, Lawrence, uh, used to play a lot of tapes and stuff. <laughs> and the first thing, he said, well, I don't really like those tapes. So he said, well, why don't, why don't you start giving some split, you know, split sermons or something like that, or sermon, excellent sermonettes. I'd have never gotten through uh, 30 minutes of split sermon. There was no way. I barely got 10 minutes out for sermonettes, but Lawrence uh, said, I'd, I'd like to get to the point where we don't have to do tapes and things like that where we can have live messages, live sermons. And so we began to do that. And I, I began to realize how important when we come and we listen to someone, how that real time, you've heard the word real time, <laughs> real time, one-on-one -on -one with the, the person that's speaking. I saw the emotion. I saw the, the um, compassion Ken had, and, and I, would, I probably would have missed that if I'd have just tuned in later or got, a, got it on YouTube. I, I think I would have missed that because looking right at him and seeing his emotional um, move there, it was, was so, so wonderful to see that. And that's what it's all about, brethren. That's what it's about, is, is coming together and being in the umbrella of the Father and the Son, our chief shepherd who watches over us. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, uh, the 20th chapter, uh, talking about preaching and the necessity for it. The Bible talks about that, and it's interesting. <laughs> Sometimes it talks about it as something foolish. And we, we all pray, 
We all ask God to guide us. We all ask him to help us and direct us in what we bring. But in some ways, we know it has to come from, from God. It has to be from him because we're just men. In, verse, in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter and beginning of verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that is the wisdom of God. The world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's what it's all about, brethren. When we, when we bring a message to you, that's what it's all about. The, to them that are called, Greeks, Jews, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's so much, it's so important that as preachers and teachers that we, we recognize that power that's there. Romans, the 10th chapter. Romans, the 10th chapter. I called this one preaching to the flock. If you hadn't already guessed what this point number five was, preaching to the flock. Um, Romans 10, beginning in verse 12. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall we call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It's interesting that God set this up, understanding that we are just men, but understanding also that through the Spirit, powerful messages can, can come through and can be, can be preached. And so when he writes this, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. They bring glad tidings of good things. Boy, this Bible is full of both some very, very bad things, but oh, so many wonderful, wonderful good things. So the church is set up this way. There's not any form that we, we know. But we know that there's, there's certain things that, that happened after Christ's death and the disciples then were beginning. Let's go to Acts, the 14th chapter. And they were going out and they were preaching and they were teaching. And there was a necessity. Because if you just go and preach in, a, in an area and, the, and that's all you do and there's nothing going on, there's no one else there, uh, the, the sheep are going to be scattered, aren't they? There's not going to be a representative uh, that's going to, to keep the sheep together and it's going to point to the, 
to the, to the shepherd, because that's what I'm doing today. I'm pointing to the main shepherd, Jesus Christ, who's guiding and leading us, who is the shepherd of us, or the sheep. So, in beginning in verse 21 of chapter 14 of Acts, and I hope I got a verse. And when they had preached the gospel to the city and that taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconia and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that they must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them into the Lord upon uh, on whom they believed. And so now in all of these congregations that, that, that Paul and them were going to, they ordained elders. The Spirit must have been with them because they were just coming in and they were itinerant preachers. They were walking through these, these various cities and they probably said, well, this, this one over here is full of the Spirit. This one here is full of the Spirit. These are really, really uh, understand. And so they laid hands on them and they prayed for them and they fasted over them and they were elders now in these congregations. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Ephesians 4, I think most everyone is very familiar with these, but I hope you understand that, that Christ is building his church, and these are the foundational things that he's laid out to do it. And, and we preach, and we teach, and we, we reach out. And so here's how, here's how he set it up, beginning in verse 11. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Um, we're down to pastors and teachers and, and, and frankly, teachers are a very important part of the congregation. And being able to articulate God's word um, is so very, very wonderful. And being able to see it and articulate uh, this profound word. For the, and here's what it's for. For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. And, and he says then, he says, till we all come into the unity of the faith. When is that going to happen? <laughs> In the kingdom of God, of course. I, I, think, I don't think we understand everything that's in this book. I'm really convinced we don't understand fully everything that's in this book. And... and I would like to have someone who's really like thinks that they're um, good on prophecy, because I and, and of course Lawrence I know has a lot of background in that. But it's difficult to live all through all these years that I've lived through, and heard all the sermons on prophecy, and then see so much difference out there. I mean, <laughs> it's it's so much different than what I thought would happen, and and so I'm continually waiting and looking and praying that God will open our eyes to see prophetically what is going to happen in the world. So he's, he's given us these things as prophets and uh, evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, 
that we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure and stature and fullness of Christ. That's, where we're, that's the goal. The measure and fullness and stature of Jesus Christ. Boy, I mean, I'm, I'm about, I think I'm about, well, let's see. I'm not sure I can get down there quite that far. I'm about that high. And he's, well, he's quite a bit higher than, than the ceiling. And I haven't got there yet. Let's put it that way. We're working on it. All of us are working on it. To coming to the stature and the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's, that's our goal. That's why we have the chief shepherd that leads us and guides us. So the church is set up this way. That was number six. And we understand something about the church. In 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. And I don't know if I have time to get all of this in. But I'd like to get a little bit of it in. Because we are kind of the, we're the body of Christ is what we are. It's what he says in the Bible. That's what Paul wrote. And I'm going to break in around verse 13 here. of 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink of the one spirit. For the body is not one member but many. So understand that. We don't know all of the body of Christ. All we know is the body that's right here. We are part of the body of Christ. If the foot shall say, because I'm not of the hand, I am not of the body, is there, therefore not of the body. And if the ear shall say, because I'm not of the, uh, not the eye, I'm not a part of the body, is therefore not of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where is the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where is the smelling? And if, now if, but now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as has pleased him. See what it says. He has set them in the body as it has pleased him. Sometimes we don't understand why certain things happen. I really don't know why I'm here, but um, God has been merciful, and I do love his word, and I can preach a little tiny bit. So he's given me this responsibility, and I, I take it seriously, and I try to preach Christ and him crucified and, and Jesus Christ and the body of Christ and these things that I'm preaching today. And if they were all one member, where is the body? But now are they many members yet but one body? The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more these members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon those we bestow the most abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. In other words, we cover them up. For our comely parts have need. Uh, have no need but God has tempered the body to, together having given more abundant honor to that part which lacks that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another you're listening I hope and whether one member suffer all members suffer suffer with it that's the reason why we have the prayer request that's also another reason why we come and bring those prayer requests seriously to you because we do know that members suffer and others suffer 
One member, be honored. All members, rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and members in particular. We know Christ is the head of the body. And we are part of the body of Christ. He said some in the church, apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, and then he goes on and then he says there's something greater and that's love. Chapter 13. My next point, Hebrews 10, 23. I've got to get to Hebrews in the right direction. I'm so not sure I'm there. <laughs> Hebrews 10, beginning 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. This is number 8, and I've got not forsaking the assembly. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. What about doubts? We just went over that. Without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together some of the, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What kind of day approaching do you think might get us together? Persecution of Christians in the United States? Brother, it's happening. It hasn't hit us. We're in kind of another part of the Bible Belt. And we've got a lot of things, but it is happening. And people who profess Christianity are now hated in a lot of areas. And so, we're going to need one another. We're going to need to hold on and cling to one another and exhort one another so much more as you see that day approaching. For if we sin willfully that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no uh, sacrifice for sins. And I don't want to go on anymore with that. You can read that if you'd like. And I was going to go all the way to verse 30, but I think what I would like to do is go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, because I... There is a, a tremendous thing going on that God is preparing. And what he is preparing is, is summed up in this 12th chapter here, in, in beginning in verse 22. And I, I recognized it, I think I just recognized it because of what I was looking at words. He says, but you are not come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable... Uh, he says, you are come, I'm sorry, you, you are come to Mount Zion. He, he was talking about earlier um, when the Israelites were at the, at the base of the mountains and they heard all of the thing and they were scared. But he says, you are come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of, multitude, of, uh, innumerable company of, of angels. So we have God the Father, Jesus Christ, and no telling how many angels are watching over us in this congregation today. I mean, I think each one of us have a guardian angel that walks through our life with us. And so, consequently, they're here. No telling how many others are here watching over us. Because we've come to that very special place. He says, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. I went in there and I looked at that real quick. And I'm going to go back 
and let's let's see. This is Hebrews, and then we do a Hebrews, and we go to verse chapter twelve. And what am I on? I'm on verse uh, twenty-three. So we'll go to twenty-three. To the general assembly, that's an interesting word. I, I thought I'd go and look at that. It's uh, from thirty-nine fifty-six and G fifty-eight. A mass meeting. <laughs> a mass meeting. Universal companionship. A general assembly. Okay, brethren. To the general assembly, to the mass meeting, and the called out ones of the firstborn, or the begotten's, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all. So, is your name written in heaven? We, we sing that song. My name written in heaven? I think so. I think all of our names are written in heaven. And unless we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, our name stays in heaven. And we will make it into the kingdom, and we will receive the reward for whatever we've done. That's how it works. But we right now are part of that very large mass meeting, universal companionship together. In other words, there's all of these names since, what was it, Simon? What was the four names again? Since Simon, Andrew, James, and John were called, and all those names since then who have been called and who have come into the, into the kingdom, who are now resting in their graves waiting, all of us that are alive and God's Spirit is in and we're, we're, we're walking on this earth, and if time goes on, all of those that will come, and all of those that will be called during the tribulation, and all of those that will come, and they have this giant, huge, mass meeting of God's children in the kingdom of God. It is wonderful. What a powerful verse. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and God the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and the blood and the sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. And I won't go on with that. All right, let's finish up now in Revelation, the second chapter. One of these days, one of these days, we're going to be a part of something so wonderful. We, even as spirit beings, we may not really fully comprehend it till we've been there a few years, a few, maybe even a few thousand years. We may not fully and completely comprehend it. In Revelation, the 22nd chapter, and verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to the work, according to as his work shall be. I am the Alpha, Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they, that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. You know, the, sea, the tree of life was blocked off. And of course, when the flood came, it was wiped off. But God says that someday we are going to have our access to the tree of life. And it, to, to God, that's extremely important. And in that city... That beautiful city, that new Jerusalem, 
there will be a tree of life that we will have access to. And you may enter in through the gates into the city, for outside are dogs and sorcerers, whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves to make a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my messenger, my angel, to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come and let him that hears say, Come and let him that is thirsty come and whoever will let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify to every man that hears the words of this prophecy of the book. If any man shall add to these things, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in the book. Any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy. God shall take away from this part in the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book, which he shall testify these things, saying, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen and amen.